Welcome to the Ferris Love Podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. This week, we are talking with Scott Weeman, the founder of Catholic in Recovery. Welcome, Scott. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Yes, we're excited. So why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about Catholic in Recovery, how that got started, kind of your journey, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm happy to. The two are very related, my journey and kind of the growth and start of Catholic in Recovery. So I, I'll, I'll be brief as I uh, have learned no to be as well. Uh, but I uh, grew up in Wisconsin, a rural uh, com- community in Wisconsin, nominally Catholic, as I described. So uh, Christmas, Easter, a few extra credit weekends a year sure. and CCD on Wednesday nights to make sure that we were going through um, the sacraments as in an early age. Um, it was around the time, actually within weeks of receiving the sacrament of confirmation in my junior year of high school that I took my first drink. Wow. Remembering quite well, actually, that moment, I was walking to a party with a friend who was back from college, a little bit older than me. Mm. And uh, we were just walking along the railroad tracks as we did. And uh, he pulled out a Luke, maybe he handed me a lukewarm Bud Light. I remember him saying, don't think so much about what this is going to taste like, because it won't taste great at first. Sure. But think about how good it will make you feel. Mm. And I kind of chased that feeling for a while. Uh, I was successful in debate, policy debate in high school and um, had a great social life. Went to school in New York City, a big change from small town Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, really, my drinking and drug use took off at the time. I was okay. uh, loved the effect and chased it. Didn't consider myself an addict or an alcoholic because I was comparing myself to peers who were seemingly doing the same thing. Also kind of described who I was deciding to spend my time with. but. Sure. Um, ended up losing my debate scholarship, uh, got a second DUI when I was 21 years old, after which went to treatment 15 days, keep my parents off my back. Mostly stayed sober for about eight months, fell in love with a great Catholic girl in my hometown. We had some challenges as I began drinking and recreationally smoking marijuana and other using other drugs. Um, And that, of course, always came along with lying and deceit and uh, manipulation and challenging relationships. I'd been here before. We made a geographic change from Wisconsin to San Diego in 2010. I was 25 years old. Wow. Kind of like switching seats in the Titanic. Yeah. And uh, a year later, uh, she really, you know, put up necessary healthy boundaries for herself, said, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, after about a month and a half of very isolated drinking and drug use, I finally found help. I walked into an AA meeting and saved my life and uh, continues to save my life. I found the Catholic Church somewhat in an effort to win back uh, a ex-girlfriend who was very Catholic, thinking that I might look like a good Catholic boy. That didn't work out, but I did find Jesus and I found his uh, disciples. And uh, thanks to a great young adult community in San Diego, um, really kind of came to know my faith and uh, was very active in Bible study, began to be a service as an usher and going to AA meetings on a regular basis, a daily basis, going to, you know, participating in uh, the liturgy and finding social relationships in the church. Um. A few years had gone by. I recognized that the church could use some, uh, could learn from 12 step recovery groups and how we gather in fellowship and really s- provide service and healing to those who are in desperate need of it. And also recognize that there were people in 12 step recovery fellowships who were longing for a deeper relationship with their higher power. Mm-hmm. You can sometimes find some anti Catholic sentiment in any part of our culture. Sure. Uh, this is especially true of people who have hit rock bottom and are confronted with a spiritual solution mm-hmm. and um, all sorts of feelings and uh, thoughts about God can come up and the church as well. 
Mm-hmm. But um, so just began a website in like t- 2015, catholicinrecovery.com, writing about some experience, strength, and hope related to addiction recovery in the church. Mm. I was um, uh, then a few months later offered an opportunity to write a book or put a book proposal together by a Catholic publisher, Ave Maria Press, which wanted to do some more exploration of the topic and was just blessed with that opportunity. Uh, doing some local speaking in San Diego. And the best part of those speaking engagements while I was writing the book was when I was done talking and other people had a chance to share about their uh, addiction challenges, their recovery, their loved ones who are struggling with addiction, either a child or a spouse or parents or siblings. And um, But doing so through the lens of our faith and 12-step recovery, some you know, integrating the sacraments, scripture, the saints, uh, Catholic devotions, things that would otherwise be out of bounds in a secular 12-step sure. group. And it was clear we need to continue to bring these people together. So our first meeting started in 2017. Wow. Uh, the last six years have brought a tremendous growth and certainly have reaffirmed the need for mm-hmm. Catholic addiction recovery, fellowship, community, and resources. And so now we have about uh, 90 Catholic and recovery groups around the country in 30 different states six in Canada and two in Mexico and uh, 50 wow. virtual meetings around uh, that take place every week, uh, providing resources for people with a variety of addictions, compulsions, and unhealthy attachments. Mm-hmm. That includes alcoholism, drug addiction, compulsive overeating, restricted eating. I've learned in the start of all this that there are just as many people seeking recovery from food-related addictions mm-hmm. as there are alcohol and drugs. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And flour and sugar being a, you know, the kind of the activating factors there. Gambling, lust addiction, codependency, technology addiction, the family effects of addiction, um, all uh, kind of resources and fellowship that we provide. And um, so that's the synopsis um, and kind of where we are today. Wow. So impressive. I mean, even what you've been able to do in six years with, you know, so many different locations, the online, I think that's kind of one of the beauty of our world today, too, that you can reach so many more people being able to do online meetings and that kind of a thing, too, which is which is really nice. Um, Yeah. I'm curious, like, why why do you think it is that, like, this is new for the Catholic Church, like, offer this kind of a thing? Yeah, so I have um, a developing theory, not not so much a theory, but just an outlook that, um, in a lot of ways, the church uh, functions kind of like a dysfunctional family around Mm -hmm. some of this stuff. And so there are, it takes a level of humility and honesty Mm -hmm. and addiction is a topic and the presence of addiction can bring about so much shame Mm -hmm. and fear and resentment. And so I think that just like that contributes to how a family kind of reacts or responds to addiction. I think in a lot of ways, the church has been the same and certainly not immune from the effects of addiction as well, where, Mm -hmm. you know, personally, you know, you know, Catholic leaders, Leaders are not immune to addiction as well. And so it's um, an imperfect, uh, yeah, just imperfect people who are, uh, you know, leading uh, the institution that Jesus established. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I I agree with you in that, like, there's, I think there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt. Like, these are topics we don't talk about. Like, that in very rare Catholic circles, are you talking about addiction to anything, let alone things that I think are even more shameful, like maybe a pornography addiction, maybe you're talking a little bit about food or alcohol even seems to be a little bit more understandable, but some of these things are, are really like, we don't talk about them and maybe we should be, or maybe we should learn how to dialogue about them. 
I mean, I think that these are very, very relevant conversations in a lot of families, but they're not being had either internally or externally mm-hmm. and because of the, I don't know, the, the stigma around it. When I get in front, you know, sometimes I have the chance to speak to a parish or give a, a pulpit announcement after mass or, you know, speak at larger events and talking about things like pornography and its effects on individuals and families and um, various addictions and processes that can really divide and uh, mm-hmm. divide us from God, divide us from each other and divide us from our true sense of self. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'll speak about and I'll mention pornography and masturbation and, um, you know, addictions and various things. And people will often just come to me with a great sense of gratitude that, mm-hmm. you know, thank you for actually like speaking about this. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we haven't heard these terms spoken about yet. There are very relevant to our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like so many people are, and I, I feel like Catholics aren't immune to this, like you were saying, right? Like it, we are human, we are flawed, just like every everyone else. And so we're mm-hmm. not we're not immune to having these addictions or seeing these in our families or with our friends. That's right. I think, I think that a lot of what leads our understanding of addiction <clears throat> is a lot of myths. Mm. And uh, one of those, you know, so it's really important that we even just in beginning to have these conversations, we uncover some of those myths with truth. And one great truth is that addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't discriminate between gender lines, class lines, racial lines, socioeconomic lines, vocational lines, um, uh, religious lines. You know, you're absolutely right that, um, and, and sometimes we have a tendency and I think we have long had a tendency to somewhat over spiritualize uh, the solution to these, to these things. And so, (laughs) you know, with a, uh, maybe an understanding, these myths lead to this idea of, well, if you just said 10 more Hail Marys the Mm -hmm. night before, or just maybe integrate a few more prayers into your daily routine, that that would be effective. And, you know, addiction penetrates us to such, it manifests biologically, Mm -hmm. cognitively, spiritually, and emotionally. And we need a full-fledged solution to these things that requires not just doing it by ourselves, but really kind of surrendering to community mm-hmm. and mentors and people who can lead us uh, along the way. And, you know, that often, oftentimes that leading looks like shared experience, strength, and hope. It's sharing hope. It's sharing testimony. It's not saying you got to do this, but, you know, I did this, this, and this, it was very effective. If you're interested in following me, you know, I'm here to support you in the journey. Yeah. I think that it's such a good point that I think a lot of people think you can just pray it away, right? Like just, just pray more, just say a few more rosaries and like, you're going to be cured. Um, and I think with so many things, even when we look at mental health or things like that, like you need, you need prayer, you need our Lord for sure. But then you also need the actual help, the know-how, the men, you know, the mental games, like all of that in order to actually recover in order to, you know, function well in society. Yeah. And I don't think either of us are discounting the power that prayer can have. Certainly. No, oh, absolutely but, not. <laughs> yeah. But if prayer and action is really the mm-hmm. recipe that Jesus provides. And uh, and then also when we found, you know, new life that we're, it's not just kept to ourselves, but, mm-hmm. you know, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous does a really great job to establish a foundation of what life can look like. So mm-hmm. as not only as individuals, but also as families, you know, finding freedom from addiction, the thing that was once the greatest, you know, the, our darkest past, our dark past, the most shameful thing, we probably w- once wish we could put it in a closet, lock it up and never deal with it again. But our dark past can be the greatest asset that we have to, in order to help individuals and families who still suffer. And so there is, I think, a really great opportunity for evangelization mm-hmm. and discipleship along the journey of just sharing a, a message of hope and freedom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um 
I'm curious. So the book that you wrote was on the 12 steps in the sacraments, right? So tell us a little bit about that and how you see like the value of the sacraments kind of working in conjunction with recovery programs and things like that. Yeah. So uh, Catholic in recovery, our you know community um, does not claim to be a substitute for other secular 12-step groups, but in a lot of ways, either a bridge or kind of a, a supplement to. Okay. We find many people who maybe have tried other groups before in the past and um, maybe they weren't in a position to find help, or maybe just they, you know, wasn't the right group for them, or some factors. Uh, we can, we have seen many people to who have started and found new life through recovery from a variety of addictions, compulsions, and unhealthy attachments. Family members too, also have found many people who have found the miracle of recovery, wanting a deeper relationship with their higher power, God, and either returning to the church, the sacraments for the first time in a long time, or uh, coming to the church for the first time for, you know, they're feeling called and tugged uh, by a variety of factors and things. So, and in understanding the 12 steps, maybe some might have a better understanding of the 12 steps and the limited understanding of the sacraments. For others, it might be uh, reversed. But really, the way that we outline it, and it's outlined in my book, The 12 Steps in the Sacraments, is the first three steps are overlapped with the sacrament of baptism, mm-hmm. where uh, the term baptism uh, uh, means to plunge and to kind of like t- take this this plunge into new life. And where, where we find through our baptism, our identity as God's beloved child mm. with whom he's well-pleased. You know, so often people come into recovery with a sense of shame, uh, mm-hmm. lost identity, lost um, identity, who they are in relationship with God. And so that's a really essential part of the first three steps. One, admitting we're powerless over fill in the blank, alcohol, drugs, food, lust, mm-hmm. you name it, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Mm-hmm. And three, making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to his care. Mm-hmm. In essence, I can't, God can, I ought to let him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that many of us may have received baptism as an infant and maybe don't have a memory of it or, sure. uh, but we can still, we can still reclaim our, our baptism, our baptismal promises, our baptismal identity, our baptismal calling variety of ways for, you know, practicing, you know, various things like celebrating our baptismal birthdays, which regardless if there's, there's an addiction in your family is a really wonderful way to just make the sacraments a, mm-hmm. a part of your family life. We do this with our kids and have done it with ourselves as well. Um, and if there's cupcakes involved, there's always, you know, it's just like a hit. Um, but also, you know, walking into a church and dipping my fingers into the bap- you know, baptismal font and mm-hmm. making the sign of the cross, you know, kind of sit that, that same plunge, which, I equate to that plunge, you know, I was spiritually dead and bankrupt and Mm -hmm. um, God found me and restored me. And um, so I can't forget that. I can't forget really the, my back where I came from, really the spiritual death that Mm -hmm. led to such great spiritual life. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that really, I think, unites me with baptism. Steps four through nine uh, are in the overlap with the sacrament of reconciliation is probably Mm -hmm. the most blatant of the overlapping Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas we, in step four, make a thorough and moral inventory of ourselves. Five, uh, admit to God ourselves and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So Mm -hmm. like a preparation, a very thorough preparation for confession and then the act of confessing itself, Mm -hmm. but also encompasses really the fullness of the sacrament. So step six and seven, we ask God to remove whatever defects of character stand in the way of serving him and others. Mm -hmm. Step eight, we make a list of all persons we had harmed and become willing to make amends to them all which does take a great deal of humility and self-reflection. We're not looking at any other, we're not, 
we're just cleaning up our side okay. of the street. And mm -hmm. then step nine, we make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Sure. So really the penance, a fullness right. of the sacrament, and that leads to amazing conversion as the sacrament of reconciliation uh, is to lead us to. Mm -hmm. Steps 10 and 11, our daily bread, we overlap with the Eucharist. Uh, we continue to take personal inventory and when wrong, promptly admit it. And in step 11, seek through prayer and meditation, conscious contact with God. And there's no better way of that conscious contact with our creator than through the Eucharist. Okay. And um, and there are other practices as well that can be maintenance of our daily bread, uh, you know, prayer and meditation, the rosary. Uh, there are a variety of uh, prayer routines and maintaining gratitude, you know, Thanksgiving, which is really at the essence of our, um, of our Eucharist, is um, also a really essential part of this. And then in step 12, we go make disciples by um, having had a spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. We share the message of hope with others and continue to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Much like our confirmation, we're asked to share with others what we've been freely given. And uh, I, I believe that a gift is not truly a gift unless we're willing to give it away. And that's true of our life, our faith, our sobriety or recovery, and uh, so many other things in life we are merely just stewards of. And uh, so it does, I think anyone can certainly benefit, you know, from uh, working of the 12 steps. There does take a great level of honesty and self-reflection that unless your back is to the wall um, and you admit your powerlessness can mm -hmm. be somewhat hard to do, but it's a pathway for many to find a spiritual awakening in a new way of life. Sure. I can see that. And I, I love how you kind of like outline the 12 steps and, and attach them to the sacraments because it's true like that's so much of what we do in our lives is acknowledging that we can't do it without our lord right like leaning on him mm -hmm. going to confession starting over getting grace and the the strength from the mass all of that um, helps us in so many aspects of our life and i'm sure also in in addiction and overcoming that yeah and it makes the mass kind of yeah come to life really mm -hmm. exactly it's um you know we recognize our place in the mass and in liturgy and in community and you know even when we in the mass you know, admit our sins to our brothers and sisters, uh, seeking forgiveness. That is a great, I think there's a lot of humility there. I I think that's akin to when I'm in an AA meeting or a Catholic in recovery meeting and I identify, say, my name is Scott, I'm an alcoholic or an addict and an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. That's not to establish myself or root myself in this worst thing that could describe me, but rather it's really a de declaration of freedom and mm -hmm. a declaration of this is what God has set me free from. And, mm -hmm. you know, imperfection is at the heart of that, my own imperfection. Um, and I think that we come together as Catholics and as believers in a similar way when we participate in the liturgy. Sure. I'm curious, you know, if anyone is listening and is feeling like that tug, like, maybe this is me, right? Like what suggestions or advice would you have for someone who's like, Ooh, like, I think, I think I have an addiction or like, maybe they're ready to acknowledge that. Like what advice do you have for them? Yeah. Um, there are some resources and tools that you can find to kind of uh, self-assess. Mm -hmm. I would say in most instances, it's um, if you're asking yourself, do I have a problem? There's probably at least a bit of a problem. Sure. And um, you can, and freedom awaits you with some action. Uh, I would suggest to attend meetings. You mm -hmm. can, you know, there are a variety of Catholic and recovery meetings available both online from the comfort of your own home and in many communities. Otherwise, find a anonymous recovery meeting that is specific to the addiction that you're challenged by. I'm a kind of a all of the above type of an addict. And so uh, some general principles 
uh, that and being surrounded by people who are seeking recovery from a variety of addictions is very helpful for me mm -hmm. because sometimes we do have the tendency to just escape one addiction by running to another. Sure. And, you know, it's kind of feeding the same cravings, the same unhealthy um, kind of coping in a lot of ways. So sure. it's nice to be surrounded by a holistic solution, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, I would encourage people if you want to, if you're looking to get your recovery journey started, looking for some resources and want to find a Catholic community to uh, just be part of that journey, check out catholicinrecovery.com. We have a variety of meetings and a meeting kind of uh, menu option, seeking either an in-person or a virtual meeting. Mm -hmm. um, find help. It doesn't have to, you don't have to tell the world about this. You know, there are, there's a reason that these, um, you know, the word anonymous is a part mm -hmm. of a lot of these programs is right. because it's not seek, you know, telling the world, but there is something that's really beautiful about a group of anonymous people, strangers who don't have, uh, you know, they're not involved in our day-to-day -day lives, our work, our families who can provide a spiritual solution. And um, there's a lot of great humility and connection and um, new life that awaits. Mm -hmm. What about for those who maybe they have a family member or a close friend who is struggling with addiction? How, what can we do? How can we be an advocate for them or support? And, and maybe too, what should we not do? Like, I'm yeah. curious about that. <laughs> yep. Um, I think that first, it's really important to become educated on the topic of addiction. If addiction has an impact on you, your family, your community. Sure. And, um, and a lot of that, again, is just dispelling myths, you know, and that can also lessen the personal, you know, taking things personally, mm -hmm. recognizing addiction as a disease, a spiritual disease, and and coming to terms with that, that can be a hard journey to come to terms with, sure. particularly as, you know, mistrust, dishonesty, mm -hmm. you know, there's broken relationships. It's, um, you know, it can be hard to not take things personally with our people who are closest to us and their behavior. But um, yeah, educating oneself on addiction is a really important first step. I would also suggest putting yourself among other people who have been in your shoes, you know, and seeking how can I, what can I do to support, to support me in some ways and do the best to care for my loved one. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is to not get too involved in their affairs. You know, that doesn't mean to just have a, a strong, you know, like come, you know, come see me when you're sober. Sure. But, um, you know, having some type of healthy boundaries is a really important part of, uh, I think, doing providing healthy and healthy environment for our loved ones as well. Mm -hmm. And so maybe, you know, so having discussions with people who have been in our shoes, who have found freedom through their own self-reflection, through finding, you know, kind of hope is often hard to find in a family impacted by addiction. And mm -hmm. so learning how to exercise the hope muscle and find, you know, having this separate but hopeful attitude, which means that we are not responsible for our loved one's addiction. We are certainly responsible for loving and caring for them. But, you know, so many family members, particularly if it's a child, but also if it's a spouse or parents or siblings, maintain like myths that I, I caused it. Yeah. I'm responsible for controlling it and I can cure it. None of those are true, but that off of those three C's um, can lead to, you know, obsessions within families that make it that, that distance us from God and limit our options for a solution. And so finding fellowship among others who have been in our shoes and are finding the help themselves is really important too. Right. Um, so helpful, I think, especially for parents as they're looking, because it's true. So I'm, I'm sure many of them feel like it's their fault or they didn't do enough or that kind of a thing. So that was that was really helpful. I wonder if you can share a few more of these myths that you're talking about in terms of, you know, addiction itself. And so that, you know, just to help people kind of understand this a little bit more. Yeah, I would, you know, there's some. Um... 
Similarly, I would say another one is addiction is not a moral referendum on your life, on one's life. So the presence of an addiction or the presence uh, in your life or in your family mm -hmm. is not a moral referendum on who you are. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes addiction starts as a coping mechanism to circumstances around us. Now addiction exists because when those circumstances maybe resolve themselves, we still return to the substance or the behavior mm -hmm. um, because it kind of takes on a life of its own. And sure. so, you know, in my experience and in most experiences, addiction, whether it's, uh, you know, leaning on the bottle or alcohol, drug use or food or lustful behavior mm -hmm. is um, really just a response Um not a respect. It's certainly not an unhealthy response, but it's not the problem at first. It's the solution. It starts off with the, as the solution, which has consequences in its own problems. So really important just to understand that addiction is not a moral referendum on one's life. Mm -hmm. uh, no human power can relieve us of addiction. Mm. We need the help of God. And so, you know, certainly God's kids can be of great help and support. Yeah. But uh, we need a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem. And mm. I think that addiction is a spiritual problem, a spiritual disease. Mm -hmm. um, it's easier to put on slippers than to carpet the world. Oh, okay. It's easier to put on slippers than to carpet the world, which uh, is largely a way of saying that it's, I can change myself and I need God's providence and grace to do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, my efforts at changing other people, if, if that's my goal, uh, is going to be a, a, a long and troubling journey. For sure. And then I think also, you know, facts and fear, I say this, facts and fear are, are not an effective way to support healing. Mm. You know, too, oftentimes, and this is in response to family members just doing the best that they can or, sure. you know, trying to maybe even as a church communities or providing public support, you know, we lead with um, all the facts or, you know, paint, you know, if you keep dr going down this road, your life's going to look like this or, sure. you know, and this was my loving family members who very helpful, very well wanted to be as helpful as possible. There's sure. just, they didn't cause it. They couldn't control it and they couldn't cure it. Um, and if my experience was this, that I walked into a meeting on October 10th, 2011, mm -hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous meeting after my life was seemingly falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, the, my education uh, pursuits had gone awry many times. Relationships with my family and friends were shattering. Uh, I the day prior, I was on the beach in Mission Bay. It was probably a beautiful day, but my memory it was dark and cloudy. And uh, and I kind of pushed my beach cruiser bike through the heavy sand and pulled out my phone, which seemed to weigh about 500 pounds, mm -hmm. called my mom, my dad, and three of my closest friends from back home mm -hmm. and told them that what they already really knew was that I had a problem and I needed help. Mm -hmm. The next day I walked into a meeting. And uh, it was a 7 a.m. early meeting. I was usually hung over or sleeping through a hangover at this time. There was laughter up in the room. The, uh, it was in the second floor, so I could hear in the stairwell the laughter coming down. I thought, I've got to be in the wrong place. These people have no idea how I'm feeling. Sure. And uh, and I walked in and kind of sat in the back corner. don't remember much from the meeting. I do recall that afterwards, we all got our put our arms around each other and prayed the Lord's Prayer. Mm. This feeling of being at home just kind of came over me. Mm which I didn't have too much time to rest with because immediately afterwards, a man darted across the room, looked me in the eyes and said, I know exactly how you feel. You don't ever have to drink again. Wow. And, uh, he dedicated a lot of time. He invited me to go get coffee with me after that meeting. 
And we worked together integrating really faith in the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. And he met me at a meeting every day and saved my life. And it was, you know, that subtle difference of, I know exactly how you feel. You don't ever have to drink again. That seemed to cut through my shame, my denial, my fear at the time, and just opened up the door of hope, Mm -hmm. which God then blew off of its hinges. But, um, you know, like it, There's a humility, it's a hard humility to come to, but recognizing that maybe some anonymous stranger is going to come into our loved one's life or in our life Mm -hmm. and um, have those words to say that couldn't be heard otherwise or previously. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, Yeah. God has our back. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And I I love that, you know, like God works in mysterious ways and like through strangers often, right? And I think it's probably, especially in this, because of course, your family and friends are there, but it's not, it's not always the same as perhaps maybe a stranger coming and being like, I, I get you, right? I understand and I'm here to support you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I'm curious, you know, through your work in the last six years and all of that, do you see any particular addictions that are getting worse or perhaps like we're seeing more of? And if you have like an idea why that is or. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our are just out of control, like lust addiction, pornography addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. out of control, not just a men's issue, but also right. a women's issue as well. We just started a women's only uh, lust and love addiction recovery meeting Sunday wow. nights, Catholic mm-hmm. and recovery virtual meeting. And, you know, so it's important that we're providing resources for mm-hmm. all related to this. Sure. But I mean, the uh, availability, the accessibility and the privacy that people can, you know, just like engage sure. in their act out in their addiction is out of control um gambling addiction increasing as well mm-hmm. as it's becoming legalized among sports oh, gambling sure. becoming legalized in many states around the country and it's really sad to see a family that's impacted by gambling addiction and i've you know m- known a few people who have found recovery um mm-hmm. or were uh, are adult children of gambling addicts mm-hmm. and so a lot of their ability to trust and um and have adult relationships that require things like trust and communication, which were not a part of their childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's when a lot of the uh, challenges begin to manifest. Uh, Food-related addictions, like I said, are very abundant. Um, the challenge there, or the, you know, Sister Margaret is a woman in Portland, Oregon, who uh, helps get, helped get a couple of Catholic and recovery groups started up there very early on in our, in our growth. And she I've learned a lot about the nuanced differences between the different addiction types. I think largely the different symptoms of the same spiritual malady. Sure. But um, as Sister Margaret describes, you know, Scott as an addict or an alcoholic, you or drug addict or alcoholic, you know, you just abstain. You don't engage at all. You just stay away from it. Mm-hmm. But um, as a recovering food addict or compulsive overeater, sure. uh, I need to take the tiger out of its cage three times a day. And I need to do so with um, with modesty or moderation. Sure prudence and um and sobriety in a lot of ways yeah that's so that is true it's so interesting yeah because there are some that you can just cold turkey and that's fine mm-hmm. and then there are others that you just you can't you've got to constantly be dabbling back in and then and navigating that would be difficult yeah a lot of these things are just you know as we would describe us as, as sin is just missing the mark it's a misplaced right. it's a misplaced seeking of god Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, thinking and, and thus these uh, substances or behaviors become idols mm-hmm. and we rely on them to do for us what only God can do. Sure. And in that idol building, all sorts of bad consequences come about and we become isolated, fearful, resentful mm-hmm. and um, cut ourselves off from the solution. Sure. Can you explain a little bit why 
you know, when you go through these programs, it's really important to have other people. Cause I, I, you know, people who are like, I could just do it on my own, right. I can just strong arm myself into never drinking again or whatever. But like, it seems that we really need the accompaniment, right? Like, and why is that? Yeah, I think that that's true. It's particularly true of addiction recovery, but also true in the spiritual life too. Sure. You know, like we certainly need to learn from the experience of others as we're going, navigating new stages of life, mm-hmm. you know, navigating, going from being single to married to having kids. You know, there, if we have um, individuals or other couples that we can look to as uh, models, you know, not perfect models, but maybe even in their imperfection, there's even more of a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, th- these things are really important, and particularly with addiction, because we need to find some kind of healthy replacement for our pursuit of the behavior or substance which we were pursuing to great ends. Mm-hmm. And so, really, if you if we can pursue recovery with half the zeal uh, that we sought our addictive behaviors or substances, we're going to be just fine. Mm. Um, because we go to great lengths to get it if we want it, if we feel, you know, because our body's telling us that we need it. Sure. And, um, and so we need the help that healthy alternative to our addiction, uh, requires leaning on people and learning new spiritual tools. I said that facts and fear are not effective ways to support healing. Mm-hmm. So the ways that we ought to support healing is through a process of relating relating to a new community or person Mm -hmm. that um, inspires and sustains hope for us. Hope being a not tangible, but a a really important part of all of this. Mm -hmm. We then repeat that process. The new relationships help uh, helps us learn, practice and master the new habits and skills that we'll need. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we can reframe our life. The new relationship helps us to learn new ways of thinking about our situation and -hmm. our life. And it's with that outlook uh, that we can, take on the eyes of God or see ourselves as beloved daughters and sons of his. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's transformational. That is, uh, you know, it's, I describe it's I describe it like it's simple. Um, it's simple, but it's not easy. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Scott, this was an amazing conversation. Do you have anything else you want to add before we, we sign off today? I'm just grateful for the opportunity to advance the conversation in the church around addiction recovery and its impact on individuals and families. Uh, Check out catholicandrecovery.com to begin your recovery journey today. Or if you're in recovery, you know, supplement your recovery efforts with uh, Catholic in Recovery by integrating the sacramental life and faith into your journey. The Catholic in Recovery workbook was published about a year ago and does do that, integrates Catholic spirituality and wisdom into the 12 steps with worksheets and uh, wisdom from the saints and scripture and all sorts of stuff. But, um, you know, be bold. You uh, don't be afraid and, you know, help in new life is uh, on the other side of asking for it. Mm-hmm. That's great. We'll link to all of that in the show notes as well. So people can find it. Um, and Scott, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and this entire thing and being vulnerable and open to share all of this. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grateful. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Podcast. If you enjoyed it, there are a few quick things you can do to support us. Share this episode with a friend, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review or visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org.